Hello, my friends. I hope you're doing well tonight. Thank you for joining me here. I've been thinking about the time I recently spent away from this forest. I was on a little island, alone, if you don't recall, and I built a tiny fortress for myself with a light blazing, and I worked. For some time, I worked. I did not rest very much. I kept vigilant. I stood guard against a massive terror, and I kept watch for lost souls. It was rewarding. It was rewarding, but exhausting. And at the end of it, I felt perhaps a little more empty for having spent so much of myself for having spent so much time there. Now, I find myself home again, surrounded by green turning orange, surrounded by the sweet fragrance of cold, wet earth and dying leaves. And you, and others. You know there are ghosts here. You know and it's probably one of the main reasons you come here to visit me. This time of year, they are many. And surrounded by them, surrounded by my sweet and pure and imaginary forest, and you, dear listeners, I begin to feel I can rest a little. I can nurse myself back to health again. I turn my focus inward. Is it ever really outward, I wonder? And it feels good to give myself my own kind attention. But there is a nagging part of me, screaming probably from just behind my left ear, shouting, What are you doing? Who are you helping? What are you working toward? And, with my tarot deck in my hands, now turning from green more and more to the real, pale, strangely nearly human flesh I haven't seen for so long. I realize that I am too tired to think of a question. I am too tired to wonder what I can do for the ghosts here. They do not seem concerned. They are resting, too, I think, until it is time for their great celebration. I cannot hurry that celebration. I cannot hurry a festival for the dead. I can only prepare for it. And I am tired tonight. I don't have to do anything tonight. I don't. So I simply ask my cards. What next? I shuffle them very well. I shuffle them for a long time. I cut the deck. I see that the card is reversed, and I feel a wave of trepidation. Yet I let it pass me by, and I turn the card over. Hello again, my friend. It's been some time. It's the Ace of Cups reversed. I have seen this card many, many times. 
more often reversed than upright, if I recall correctly. As I've said, upright, the cup is full, overflowing with love, creativity, joy, fulfillment, ideas, potential, good things, good, wonderful feelings. So reversed, what do we think? We can think of it as emptiness, as emotional repression, as trauma, as being contained, trapped, bereft. But we can also think of it, as I've discussed it before, as the need for self-love. I think that we can mention repression and self-love in the same breath by discussing the notion of catharsis, of letting out our fears, our sorrows, our emptiness, and sharing it with the world, who, I assure you, can take it, and so can I, even in my tiredness, even in my own emptiness, I want to hear howling, I want to hear weeping, I want to hear pain and sorrow. Not because I relish it, I assure you I do not, but because it does much more harm than good inside than out. There are so many sweet, well-behaved ghosts here, hiding, making themselves small, making themselves silent, peeking from behind trees, listless and grey. If I could get them to light up with their own colours, sad, angry, joyful, remorseful, vengeful, bitter, calm, loving, whatever on earth their colours may be, I think it will only help us all feel ready to celebrate soon. You can't celebrate with a blocked-up heart. I would be a hypocrite to give that advice without acknowledging that I need to take it, too. I need catharsis, just as much as they. So, what do we do? We let it out. I have a story. Almost. It's taking its time forming itself in my mind. I can almost see it. It's aura pale and blue for now. And the main character, the soul I've collected, the soul whose story I've stashed away in my heart, the soul I created and met and loved and locked away somewhere. She's waiting to be let out, too. Find a spot on the wall, or perhaps in your mind's eye, wherever you like. Stare there for a little. Now, imagine the shape of a person. Just the outline of her. Now a few details. Her posture is straight and strong. Her hair is neatly coiffed. Her clothes are perhaps a little more rigid than one might find comfortable. But then again, so were many garments before recently. 
but if one looked at her closely enough, they might realize that those rigid wire cages around her ribs and under her skirts, those fine petticoats that are coming more and more into focus, those stitched-up sleeves that do not have much give in them, one might realize that those garments were the only things holding her up so straight and strong. In fact, it was the dress she had worn every day for the last few years of her life. No one had really taken the time to notice. Let me explain. She lived in a little town, a thriving little place, with people who tended to have more than enough of everything they needed. They would have to, in order to live here. All the houses were lovely and quaint and well-made. Expensive, one might say, if one wanted to. You know something, I will. Let us name the demon here. This was a wealthy little town. The grass was cut short and clean. The flowers were arranged in neat little rows all along the streets. The shop windows were ornately decorated, and the air always smelled of fresh bread and spiced meats and heavy perfumes. As neighbors walked about, day after day, they nodded to one another and tipped their hats. Carriages with gilded wheels drove by on cobblestone roads that were cleaner than some people's bedroom floors. Children were always seen and not heard, and they looked like little dolls with their funny little Sunday clothes they seemed to wear every single day. People went to work every morning, where they said, How are you? And everyone would reply, Quite well, thank you and then they would go home and eat a luxurious meal and feed the leftovers to their well-groomed dogs and go to bed in lavish beds with satin sheets and down pillows. A decadent little town. Pretty as a cupcake, quiet as a church, and somehow, for all its bright colors and forced cheer, somber as a cemetery. How are you? Quite well, thank you. How are you? Quite well, thank you. All day long, in and out. No one raised their voice. It was considered quite uncouth to do so. There were no taverns or pubs for anyone to stay too late at and make too much noise on their way home. There were never musicians on the streets, playing a tune for a coin for raised voices and requests for money were both seen as rude and desperate, too. Children didn't play. Friends didn't gossip. Lovers didn't kiss. At least not where anyone could see them. This was, according to everyone here anyway, a good, decent, old-fashioned town. Organized. Clean. Quiet. Ultimately, empty. Now, the woman I mentioned. She had lived here with her husband, who she loved very much. Let me just take a moment to tell you how they met one another. 
He had wandered into the town one day from a faraway place with rags on his back and holes in his shoes. He had gone through many hardships. He had been robbed and beaten during his travels and was seeking help anywhere he could. As he walked through the town, he banged on doors. He pleaded for help. He sought refuge, food, a little compassion maybe. But everyone kept their doors shut. Everyone closed their curtains and dimmed their lamps. What a noise the stranger was making. They did not like noise here. And for a place with so much to offer, it had so little charity. But she opened her door. She had a lovely little house, all the way down the road, far from everyone else's. She had lived here with a wealthy old aunt who had long ago passed, and now it was hers. She lived comfortably here, as long as she was respectable and quiet, presented herself nicely, and spent money. People in town liked her just fine. They had known her since she was a polite, silent child, and they knew her now that she was a polite, silent lady. Perhaps not all that respectable, for she lived in a beautiful little house all by herself and had refused to marry. A rarity for a woman in those times. She'd had offers, too, and she'd turned them all down. But she opened her door to this wanderer. She gave him food and shelter. She tended to his wounds. She listened to his story about where he came from, what he had been through. And that was that. Love. And life was very lovely for a few years. Though when they walked through the streets, they barely felt it appropriate to even hold hands. But when they returned home to her lovely little house every evening, they delighted in playing music for one another. One might play the piano, the other the accordion. One might sing and one might dance. All night long they would, and no one would know because they lived just far enough away from everyone else that no one could hear the ruckus laughter, the wonderful joy, or even sometimes the tears and the shouts, for not every day can be blissfully happy. They had their struggles after all, well, I will be honest. The only thing they struggled with was money. No one wanted to hire him, for regardless of how nicely he dressed or how neatly he tied his hair back, no matter how much he practiced his bow and his how are you, quite well, thank you, he was still that noisy outsider who had banged on their doors all those years ago and she would always be the girl who decided to marry him. I am afraid I must carry on with the story. I like where we are now. Two lovers, happy and gentle, and in love against all odds. But you know we can't stay here. Not for long.
he fell very ill one day, and he did not recover. She stayed by his bed, day in and day out. She did her best to find medicine and doctors who could see him. She did her best to feed them both at the same time, but her aunt's fortune was steadily trickling away. She asked for help at the bank, but the banker politely explained why he couldn't lend such a hefty sum to a young lady and a strange man, with no credentials, no business, no prospects, etc., etc., all the etceteras that I am sure we are all used to hearing at some point or another. She asked for help from her neighbors, but they muttered something about having their own bills to pay, their own mouths to feed, etc., 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 all the etceteras that I am sure we are all used to saying at some point or another. She asked for help wherever she could, but she found none. She did her best. When he died, he was holding her hand, clasping it tightly, for her sake, not his, assuring her that he was grateful every day for her generosity to him. He was grateful for her love. He was grateful for the good life he had with her. He died with peace in his heart. And I don't say this to make you feel sad. I say this because it is important to know that he died without regret or resentment. He had her by his side, and he had been happy, and he left happy. We can be happy for him. It is allowed. But she... Hmm. She was left behind. With nothing. She spent the last bit of her inheritance on a funeral for him, that only she and the priest attended. And then she had nothing. She never asked anyone for help again. When she walked down the street, in the only dress she had that was not moth-eaten or worn out, she kept her eyes forward. When anyone asked, How are you? She would say, Quite well, thank you. She never looked them in the eye. Perhaps that is why they never noticed how sunken in her eyes were becoming, day by day. How the dress hung more and more loosely on her as time passed. How gaunt she was becoming. How empty her gaze was. How she wore the same dress every day. Perhaps that is why they never noticed. Assuming that they never noticed. Which I'm not so sure of. How can I blame them for behavior that was years, years, years in the making? How can I blame them for living exactly the way they were trained to? Our minds do what we teach them to do. One day, she stopped walking through the streets. It took her neighbors weeks to realize she had passed away, too. She never said anything, they all said, pretending to be surprised, when they saw the state of her house, her kitchen, her closet, 
She never asked for help. They lied. She died of pride, they said. But it wasn't true. They knew she died, ultimately, in a roundabout way, of a broken heart. But it was uncouth to speak of such things. And a year to the day that it happened. Not that any of them knew what it was, in fact, the anniversary of. She came back. She walked through the streets again. Walked, not quite, perhaps floated, her feet above the ground just slightly. Her face stoic, her gaze empty, in the same gown she'd worn when she died, the same gown she'd been buried in. Her eyes were even more sunken, her fingers even more skeletal. Her veins seemed strikingly black against her skin, as though her blood, though dead and rotted, was still pumping through her, just under the surface of her decaying skin. Even as a ghost, she was still fading away. She walked alone, too. At first, no one noticed. Most of them stayed in their homes at night. But one day, the banker she had spoken with all those years ago was working late. It had been a hard day. He had received word that his mother several counties away had passed, and he was very devastated, though no one knew it to look at him. He asked his manager if he could take a week off, or even just a few days perhaps, to go to the funeral. He didn't admit that he also needed to clear his head, for such things were considered uncouth to discuss. His request had been processed, and it had been denied. So his work took him a little longer today. He was the last one in the place, and he turned after locking the door behind him. And he saw her there, not looking at him, just floating by, her hands clasped before her, just as they always were, posture polite and strong and straight, but her gaze empty, her eyes milky and lost. He froze terrified. He could say nothing. He couldn't move a muscle. He just watched her pass by. And one of her neighbors saw her a different night. Her house had been bought by the bank and was due to be renovated so that it might attract a more wealthy owner after her. But it was, for now, empty. This neighbor had come outside for some fresh air, late at night, when she knew no one would see her. It had been a hard night. She had cried in front of her husband, for the first time in their ten years together. She didn't quite know why, but she felt a terrible sadness deep within her, and it was not helped by his indifference and distance and curtness towards her. She asked him if he wouldn't mind if she took a little time just to go away, to spend a little time on her own, 
perhaps at her sister's cottage. Perhaps he could look after the children, just for a little bit, just until she felt more like herself again. He merely scoffed that he hadn't the time and she hadn't the money to take this kind of time for that kind of frivolity, as he put it. And he slammed the door to his study and left her alone. So she went out for some air, just to be alone. And then she saw her there, her old neighbor, unmistakable in that horrid gown, not looking at her, just floating by. She walked down the cobblestone road and towards her old house, where she passed right through the front door as though it were nothing, and disappeared. The neighbor's breath caught in her throat, horror on her face. She couldn't say anything. She couldn't move a muscle. She just watched her pass by. I'm certain that others saw her, but the problem is they didn't tell each other about her. They didn't tell each other anything. Until I came to visit. It is not so surprising, is it? I usually end my stories by explaining how I heard tell of these ghosts, these creatures I love so much. Usually I meet them, but only long, long after their story has ended, usually happily. This time, I saw something I didn't like, and I wanted to do something about it. I don't remember what I looked like at the time, but I'm certain it was even more frightening than our sad ghost lady here. So, I do remember that I was wearing layers of black silk, a cloak with a hood covering my face, a scarf wrapped around my throat and my mouth and my nose, black gloves hiding my strange fingers. I happened upon her by chance, for I am old as time here, and there is no such thing as time, so I am ageless, and I have been wandering throughout all of my ageless life, and my travels have taken me to all kinds of haunted places. So I found this place by chance. I didn't know who she was, or that she was coming. I just felt a great heaviness in this delicate, pretty little town. I knew there had to be ghosts here. I sat in the middle of the street, in the middle of the night, and I waited for her. Eventually she came, gliding out from her house without opening the front door, making her way down the road towards the main street with the quaint little shops, the bank, the schools, the gardens, parked carriages. Everyone's windows were shuttered and doors were locked. I think they knew about her, even if no one breathed a word about it to anyone else. They knew. 
her hands poised before her, her spine straight, her dead eyes forward and lost. She was wandering as she did in life in her final days. She came closer and closer to me, about to pass me by on my right side. I know I should have stood, since it's only polite, but I was, I'll admit, a bit frightened. Not by her black veins or her milky eyes, not by her decaying skin, not by her floating feet, but by the emptiness in her gaze, the stoppage in her ghostly heart. How are you? I asked. She didn't even stop. So unremarkable was the question to her. Quite well, thank you. She sighed. And I sighed too, for I, of course, didn't believe her. I wish I could tell you something to take away your pain. I wish I could weave some magic to halt the falling rain. But only you would hear it, and only you would know. I wish I could tell you something to take away the pain. I wish I could tell a story whose message, dear, is plain. If only you could hear it. Oh, tell me, do you know? To name a thing is to take its might. To face a thing is an awful fright. To share a thing in the deep, dark night is a step towards an equal fight. There are some who will lose, not all will win, but in every battle a place to begin. By naming the thing, by raising the din, in others' tears you'll find your kin. To name a thing is to take its might, to face a thing is an awful fright. To share a thing in the deep, dark night is a step towards an equal She had stopped to listen. She had sat down across from me. She had raised her head to the sky and let out a terrible, sobbing cry. Finally, it echoed throughout the town. This town of shameful secrets and closed hearts. The banker opened his window and saw us. And though he was afraid, he understood that scream. And he wept, too. Howled into the night. The neighbor down the road opened her door and stood on her porch. And at the terrible sound, she understood, too and she howled along with us. Now I wish I could say that every single person did the same, but
but they did not all join in. Many of them found it futile, dramatic, unusual, and very, very horrifically uncouth. But most people didn't care. Most people joined in and shared their own sorrows, their regrets, their losses, their struggles. They saw what they had given up in exchange for... for whatever on earth this was anyway, and renounced it on the spot. I cannot say whether or not the banker's superior let him take a week off for his grief, I cannot say whether or not the neighbor's husband agreed to help his wife in healing herself. I cannot say. But I do know that, in front of my very eyes, the woman in the worn dress before me reached her hand over her head towards the sky, and a phantom hand, glowing and golden, grabbed it. They clasped each other's hands tightly, and she inhaled sharply and exhaled fully. <sighs> she recognized whose hand it was, and she was gone. And now we can be happy for her, too took a lot out of me, this one. Catharsis often has that effect. I think the first step is being able to talk about our demons, give them names, present them to those around us. It is in their best interest to open their doors, because you never know when you will be the one on the other side, knocking for help. I cannot thank you enough for listening to my story tonight, my dear friend. Good night. Rest well. See you next time. Dear friends, and welcome to On a Dark, Cold Night. This is your host, writer, podcaster, composer, performer, narrator, whatever else you want to call it, Kristen Zaza. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 163. How are you? Are you doing well? As we head towards October, I am eager to slowly let go of everything I've been bottling up for the last little while. I think fall is really good for that and I hope this story helped. I'd like to thank all of my patrons who support the show on a monthly basis through patreon.com. Thank you so, so much for your consistent support, my friends. If you'd like to support in this way, I'll just let you know about a couple of perks I offer. Everyone who donates $1 US or more a month receives access to my constantly updated soundtrack while everyone who pledges $5 or more receives access also to a monthly tarot reading video I perform and share. If you'd like to learn more, head on over to patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. 
If you prefer to support the show through a one-time donation without either of those perks, you can do so by buying me one or more metaphorical coffees through coffee.com. Learn more at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. And I've also got t-shirts and hoodies available at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. Another great way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. That would mean the world to me. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, on my Facebook and YouTube pages just called On A Dark Cold Night, and as a quick little announcement, I finally got TikTok. I'm not going to lie, I see what you've all been talking about. It's pretty fun. If you want to see me try to TikTok, I've got a few of my lullabies from this show up. Some progress videos, thoughts on self-care and creepy things. Mostly just me in my home showing you what it looks like over here and uh, letting you in a little to my creative process. If you want to follow me, I'm just Kristen Zaza. K-R-I-S-T-E-N-Z-A-Z-A, all one word, all lowercase. Thank you so much for joining me. As it gets colder, let's all start to grow just a little warmer. Lots of love and peace to you this week, my friends. Sweet dreams. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. So